0: Hello and welcome back to the Under the Lights podcast for Episode 2. Just to let you know before the show starts that like Episode 1, recording took place in a pub. There is a bit of background noise but we hope that that doesn't take away from your enjoyment of the show.
1: Welcome to Episode 2 of this new podcast still. Uh, This is a brand new podcast where we'll be talking all things football and all things Saints. My name's Callum Wilson. And I'm Tom Murray and this is Under the Lights.
0: Hello and welcome back to Under the Lights. This is episode 2. In our first episode, we Callum and I covered the Premier League transfer window as we are as we were only 3 weeks until the end of the transfer window. We looked at what clubs should sign a particular player that they sign if you have any feedback and you did listen to that episode. It'd be gr- we're really grateful to hear anything about that. Now that was a general comp- uh, general chat about football. And uh, but this episode, episode two, Callum is uh, more about Saints.
1: Yeah, so as we said in the first episode, we're going to try and cover general football topics, uh, relevant current topics. We covered the transfer window. Um, uh, on a side note, we're also going to do uh, a lot of episodes that are specifically uh, attributed to Southampton Football Club, uh, as me and me and Tom. Both uh, spend a lot of time at St Mary's and are big Southampton fans. So uh, on, on this particular episode, this being the first one that's Saints-related specifically, we're going to talk about uh, the start of the season for Southampton, the potential lineup, uh, transfers and pre-season, and what we think so far. And the fans forum that uh, that happened uh, only a couple of days ago. So we'd like to welcome you over to Kingsland Corner.
0: So welcome into Kingsland Corner, where Callum and I will be talking all about Saints. Now, at the end of the last episode, episode one, we had a question from Martin Ingo, who provides commentary for uh, Southampton Hospital Radio, and his was, "What do we think the
1: starting lineup is going to be on the first game of the season, Callum?" Um, always a difficult thing to say. Always some surprises thrown up. We don't see the training, we don't see the application of the players, but I think we got a pretty good example, uh, pretty good idea. We've had some examples of um, partnerships across the pitch from last season we've got some new players I think it looks like Southampton are going to go into the preferred formation of 4-2-2-2 that Ralph Arsene has had so much success with last season we played three at the back but I think that was in order to really um, stop the leaky defence and a short term plan to to survive which we did in the Premier League Um, Angus Gunn's our number one goalkeeper he'll be between the sticks I'm sure Uh, Right back, I would think Jan Valery will get the nod. He had a very good season last season. He's going to be pushed all the way by Cedric Suarez. But I think Valery is a young player that has been developed under Ralph Arseneutel. Jan Bednarak will be alongside him. I think he's our first choice centre-back and one that, again, is uh, is getting a lot of development under Ralph. Uh, I think that Yannick Vestergaard will partner him. There's no question that Southampton fans are after a centre-back. But even at this stage, if we did sign one, I'm not sure if they would start with only a couple of weeks left until the transfer window closes. Uh, and then at left-back, it's going to be Ryan Bertrand uh, for the for the season. When he's fit, he'll have young Jake Vokins instead of Matt Target pushing him. But Bertrand is a first-choice uh, left-back, and I think um, rightly so. Two centre-midfielders I'm pretty sure are going to be Aurel Romeo and
0: Pierre-Emerick
1: Hoibier. Left wing will be Nathan Redmond. Right wing, you've got a lot of options. Um, I could see him throwing in someone like a Josh Sims if he does well during pre-season. Applies himself well in training. Again, we can only really go off what we see in the pre-season games and there are a lot of changes, but uh, I think James Ward-Prowse is probably the favourite to start there. I think he had a fantastic season last year and I could see him playing on the right of uh, almost a front if you talk about it in that way I think Gineppo we've signed but he's he's been in the African, yeah, African Cup of Nations and, um, and he's also he, not an unknown quantity but he's new to the Premier League so I don't think he's a sign that's going to come in and start immediately uh, and then a front two really you're talking about two from Che Adams, Shane Long and Danny Ings and I think away at Burnley I think the preferred front two is going to be Che Adams and Danny Ings but Shane Long does do a job for you, especially away from home. What's interesting for Southampton is we're playing a side in Burnley, one of very few sides that, is gonna, that still plays 4-4-2, uh, plays two big centre-forwards. Um, and with this formation, the only thing that Southampton might struggle with is you're going to play two centre-midfielders against three centre-midfielders a lot of the time. So it's important that the likes of James Ward-Prowse and Josh Sims and Nathan Redmond tuck in and make that four to compete because we've got two competitive centre midfielders but we're going to be outnumbered um, and away from home Shane Long is used a lot but I just feel that going f- throughout the season Adams and Ings will be the preferred front too so whether he chucks Che Adams in from the front as they see a lot of new signings on the bench uh, that's probably the most difficult one to predict maybe the right winger and who's going to play up front but I'd say James Will on the right Redmond on the left and then Che Adams for his Premier League debut alongside Danny Ings.
0: I have to say I completely agree with your lineup. And again, I initially uh, I went on a podcast uh, about a week or so ago. I put Junepo in my starting lineup, but I think it is just going to be too early for him now. And I think on the bench, have him on the bench. Um, but yeah, it's going to be far too difficult to throw him. Uh, throw him in right against Burnley away in the very start of the season. Maybe Stuart Armstrong instead of Ward-Prowse, it depends yeah. on how he wants to go for it. Ward-Prowse obviously he always provides the, the the magic at the set pieces, especially last season he's really, really got a hold of that and that could be a way to break Burnley down, especially when you've got a, tall, a new tall striker in Che Adams who really knows how to fight, find the net in the Championship, didn't get any headed goals, but maybe he didn't have the right delivery and James Ward-Prowse will, will certainly give him several opportunities to score with his
1: head. Yeah, and Ward-Prowse not only from set pieces, he, he he got goals in open play and he under Ralph Harsin looked like a, de- a really decent and different player to, to what he has been previously. He hadn't really chipped in with goals before. Redmond, uh, again, he was one of the players amongst many that had really been pushed on by... by uh, Hudson at all just in a few months that towards the end of the season so I think that's most likely going to be the starting lineup. but we might still get signings come in and you've got to keep an eye on who we're playing against as well away, away at Burnley playing a 4-4-2 I think it's going to be a really uh, tight affair And but I think both playing the same sort of formation I think we've got a real chance to go there and take all three points for a strong start
0: definitely and with pre-season is now underway as at the time of recording we're two. Games into pre-season the first one being a one-all draw with uh, Altak and then recently a, th- a good 3-1 away win at Preston brilliant start for Che Adams one and a half minutes into his Southampton not his debut but his first game for the Saints and he gets on the score sheet already
1: yeah and and I've seen bits of Che Adams um, as we all do with a, with a sign in you often look on the YouTube and see what the best bits are and that goal that he, as soon as he scored that goal I thought he's that's, that is a trademark Chay Adams goal because he if you go on to YouTube and, and have a watch of that or talk to Birmingham fans, he scores goals like that where he takes the ball with his back to goal, sort of the left side of the penalty area of the D, dribbles completely sideways just along the edge of the box and as soon as he gets the chance, with not facing the goal, he'll shoot early and he'll pop the ball in the far bottom corner exactly like he did against, um, against the... What was that what were their names Altrum in the, the uh, Austrian Altec. 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 It just like he did against them in the first couple of minutes and uh, and it wasn't a surprise to me really it was a surprise that it took only two minutes for him to get get his goal but that's what you want no matter who it's against uh, for a striker to get a goal early and that was, uh, that was really important
0: I, I, I think that will do his confidence the world of good, not that he needs a confidence boost at the moment after the season he's just had in the Championship. But you're right, it was a typical Shea Adams goal. Looking at the uh, the YouTube video of his goals for Birmingham, it was very much... They almost... Some of the shots even look like uh, scuffs and look a bit lucky. Maybe you know a percentage of those are not going to go in in the Premier League, where the defenders and the goalkeepers are much faster and a bit more agile to get to that. But it's a difficult shot to save, and I think he will catch out quite a few keepers in the Premier League by shooting early, and especially until they cotton on to that's what his style is. I think I reckon he could get quite a few early goals. Yeah, if
1: they don't do their if they don't do their homework, but a lot of a lot of clubs will have, um, especially the ones that we play early on the likes of Sheffield United that uh, we've got in September they would have uh, played against Che Adams he obviously used to play for them as well but there's there's that game and then there's the game uh, recently against Preston, West Hampton ran out winners, what did you think from what you saw, there were two very different sides that we played, Uh, obviously we made a lot of changes in Austria but there were were two very different sides I feel, even with the changes that were made um, to to the team that played against Preston
0: Starting off with a negative point, having Wesley Hoot and Jack Stevens in defence certainly showed that they're not going to be first choice this year. Well, I think most Saints fans knew that the goal that Preston scored whilst individually was a very good goal. It was allowed by, in my opinion, poor positioning, poor defending. But getting that. getting that out the way, I thought Saints actually looked pretty good, they attacked the wings quite a lot and I think that's what Hazard wants to do with those two wide players and uh, from fans that went their uh, uh, post-match thoughts were that Nathan Redmond was um, particularly sharp and he of course was set up uh, Jake Vokins for his goal and was actually the catalyst <coughs> behind, behind most of Saints' attacks when he came on um, aside from that um, Danny Ings it's always good to get goals and He's, he got two of them One was particularly fortunate I don't yeah. know if you have seen Where uh, he chased down A goalkeeper clearance And it can Straight off him Up and over Into the goal But you take them However they come. And that's what That's
1: what he's asked to do The whole team It's all about Pressing high up the pitch And, and you're going to Reap the rewards If you do so Similarly to uh, What Shane Long did So early against Watford Exactly
0: The um, a couple of notes on youth players Will Smallbone has played both games so far uh, he's looked quite composed in midfield maybe he doesn't have quite the confidence to carve out opportunities for himself play the, the risky ball but he's <coughs> a very composed in midfield more of sort of um, uh, Hoibier, I esque in, term, in terms of passing maybe not the tenacity that Romeo has uh, he's been promising Jake Vokins again has really made the step up I think obviously this is his season to make his, um, make his mark with Matt Target have gone good to get a goal in pre-season
1: and for a full back yeah
0: exactly and I felt that he started that move and finished it it was great um, positional awareness and attacking awareness to get into the penalty area because he scored from about 8 yards out on pretty much the opposite side of the goal so it was, uh, to, to get that is really promising for a player of his side and has has, as he said um, the youth players need to show what they can do on a consistent basis and Jake Vokin so far has played very well in both um, 45 minutes that he's got
1: yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I was really really impressed with, and what, what what came what came out of that for me were the use of our fullbacks and how sort of uncon- unconventionally there's a lot of underlapping which I saw from both Bertrand uh, and Vokins and even Cedric to a point he could have had the opportunity to score a goal if he pulled the trigger. Ryan Bertrand got an assist for Danny's second goal with a fantastic cross. He also got an assist for a disallowed Shane Long goal. Everything seemed to be coming from the fullbacks, which which I thought were brilliant. The link-up play between Redmond and Bertrand's always been good. And then Vokins, he came on for the last 15 minutes, and I, I saw him do it against uh, the team in Austria, but also he, he did it again for his goal. There were a lot of underlapping runs, and it makes sense. It shows that Hasnerthel and and the first team are looking outside the box. Conventionally, if, if people are trying to use the full-backs, there's a lot of overlapping, there's a lot of crossing from the byline. How difficult is it for a defence to deal with someone, a left-back, who's suddenly venturing forward towards a penalty spot? Who who tracks him? The right-winger's not going to track him. You know, we've we've got the holding midfielders and the work-rate in the midfield that if we lose the ball and Vokins or Birchard or Cedric or Valerie are on the penalty spot, the cover is there. Um, and I, I think it's... It paid off for Vokins, but I think it's really a clever way to overload the box. Why do they need to be the players that are crossing the ball? Why don't they get themselves into the box, and it's difficult for a defence to try and pick up? And that's where that's where Vokins' goal came from. I like um, the introduction. Yeah, Will Smil- uh, Smallbone, Obafemi. Um, also, we saw we saw a couple of young forwards introduced in that first game as well. Um, they looked particularly hungry and looked like they could. Force their way into the into the first team later on in the season potentially.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I was in complete I was really impressed actually by uh, Dan Unlandulu which is going to be fun to pronounce when we get back to the commentary. Uh, especially if he's uh, going to be doing more of what he did against uh, al There was a particular uh, part where he muscled off a defender and used his strength and his pace to run in, throw a goal. Unfortunately, his final touch allowed the goalkeeper to get get to him. Um, just before he could get the shot away, but he, use, he he's a very pacey player. He looks very, very strong. He looks a player, he yeah. He really, really does, and I think his chance will come in the cup competitions this year, but if Hasenhutl wants to throw him in in the Premier League, with his height, he could cause real problems, and especially with that pace as well. Who, who knows, he could partner Shea, Shea Adams at one point, and then you have a really fast and difficult um, strike force to to come up against.
1: Yeah, and I think most youth players are going to get their chance in the... In the uh, the cup competitions, I mean, Bertrand's going to start at left back. Jake Vokins who, by the way, we haven't mentioned, um, got quite the ha- quite the haircut. Jake Vokins as well, hasn't he? Uh, I don't know how we're going to describe that on the uh, on the on the Saints. One that will have AD, to work on but, in um, the next couple of weeks. Bringing bringing back the curtains, but yeah, Obafemi, if he can keep that hamstring injury at bay, uh, we saw last season he can contribute in both the league and the cup, and uh, and. A number, of, a number of centre-backs that will be, like you said Hoyt and, and Stevens for the goal were poor uh, I can't see both of them being here at the beginning of the season, It'll be interesting to see it all depends on if we sign someone as well like Ralph has all said he's only going to sign players if they're better than what we've got or have the potential to be better than what we've got um, so, so so far we've talked about the pre-season but we've also touched a little bit on the signings that Sampson have made uh, not loads of signings but Gineppo was obviously signed. Uh, we've signed Che Adams. What do you what do you make of the business that Southampton have done so far? I did it quite early?
0: I think it's been really promising so far. Gineppo and especially Che Adams. That was the main target that I wanted us to get over the line. Gineppo, I uh, can't say I know too much about him. It's been a case of. Um, watching youtube clips and obviously youtube can make anyone look really really good but from what i have seen especially in the africa cup of nations he's very very pacey he's very tricky uh he has the confidence to go at players um he looks like he's going to be able to express that in the premier league bit lightweight we'll have to um
1: see how he fares it's difficult to see which way they could go because he could be a sadio mane or he could be a papo ego elia sort of player one of those ones where he's got the pace and that's the main asset but in the Premier League you need more than might, just pace yeah and, and it could be Mane started with that but then he became unplayable you could be like that or he could be someone who just leaves the ball behind all the time and, and looks like he, he's got all the will in the world but he hasn't got the technical ability so mm. it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he develops It's not going to be one of those players necessarily who's going to hit the ground running Especially with not having had the pre-season or much of a break with the African Cup of Nations, so I think we said we don't think he'll start, but I also think it'll be, you know, it'll be slowly brought into the team. Might even be in the squad at the beginning no. of the season against Burnley just to ease him in. But he, he you know, he's got a, um, he's got a good pedigree. He looks a good player, um, and hopefully he's one of the sign-ins from abroad that Slampton have made maybe a few seasons ago, not not the not the ones that they've made in the Recent. last few seasons. I think
0: whilst those two signings are really, really really good, in my in my opinion, it might be a bit extreme, but I think that a lot of hard work will be undone should Saints not sign a centre back. I know we've talked about this in the previous episode, we've talked about it at the beginning of this one, but a centre back is the key area that Saints really need to make a signing though under Mark Hughes and even under Hausenhutel they couldn't quite get rid of the um, uh, throwing away good leads against teams and we were conceding goals <laughs> through sloppy errors and whilst the signings we've made so far have been good if we don't improve on the, uh, the centre back front I fear that it's going to be pretty much more of the same in a case of we'll score more
1: than you. It'll be interesting to see, yeah, especially with the way we're setting up with a back four instead of a back five. Let's talk about Che Adams because he's a player that I'm really excited to see at Southampton, fits the mould, 22, uh, he's got pace, he's strong, he's a finisher. He's done all of that in the Championship, but he's a player that I can see making a step up into the Premier League quite quickly. Um linking up really well with Danny Ings as a partnership up front and I just I like what I see of him so far in terms of his directness and his ability to to score kinds of goals and give give defenses all sorts of problems I think I think in the in the going market and the rate I think it's a good signing considering that we Got pretty much the same amount for Matt Target on the same day, so it's a it's almost one in one out, and we've we've got a starting centre forward, I think, um, and re- replaced a, a backup left back. Although Matt Target, I think, will do very well for Villa. Mm.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that day was a really uh, good one in terms of transfers for Saints. I mean, it's almost as you say, getting in one player almost for free um, like cancelling out that transfer transfer fee in in total. I think he will bring quite a lot to our um, strike force. He's very strong, he's very quick, and the combination of that, as well as a really good eye for goal, a very good eye for getting the early shot away, could prove to be really, really deadly. And if, I have to be honest, if if he continues his form and is able to get in the goals really quickly, he could be one of those players the Saints actually struggle to keep in the long term.
1: Yeah, we've only just got him in the door, so that's not. <laughs> we've got Liverpool keeping eyes on him already. That's, that's, um,
0: I don't know if you saw the uh, the transfer uh, the um, reveal video of Che Adams, but yeah. uh, the cartoon with Young Klopp spying with uh, from it from his plane on the train up above.
1: Another good move from the Salamander so, Media team. Exactly. Um, I just want to touch on what you said about centre back because those are the two major signings we've made so far. I think we will see more. Uh, Ralph Huston has answered the question in the, in the recent fans forum which we're going to touch on uh, one word answer quick fire questions will Southampton sign anyone else before the transfer window closes and he said yes so whether that's centre back, whether that's centre midfielder whether that is anything else the sign-ins aren't done for Southampton yet how important is it that we get centre back and, and in a way to answer this quickly where do you think Southampton if the transfer window shut right now where would we finish next season, and where would they finish if they bought a centre back?
0: If we, I think it's in, incredibly vital that we get a centre back. As I said earlier, we, we've been even under Hazenhoedt. Once we saw a great improvement, we were still shipping goals, uh, less of them, but we were still throwing away leads that we shouldn't have done. And I'd say right now, if we don't sign a centre back don't think we'd be in relegation trouble. I think we've got the goals and the quality and the manager to get us away from that. I reckon we'd finish probably about 12th to 14th and that wouldn't be an unreasonable uh, uh, guesstimate. But with actually signing a centre-back, defences can really get you an extra couple of places. And I think if we get another centre-back and it's a good quality one, we could be looking at the top half. Which I don't think is too ambitious and people would say, "Oh, you know, Southampton tinted glasses, but Hazard is a fantastic manager. We saw what he worked with last season and what he managed to get out of it. And I think the centre-back could make all the difference of a, re- a good season with a great one.
1: Yeah, I've not been um, as optimistic about a new season for Sampton since Pochettino's first full season in charge. Uh, and many similarities in the way that we're playing. I think it's vital, as you said, to have a good uh, centre-back pair. And I think Jan Bednarek is is there he's getting there and he, he's a very good player I think to have someone next to him that is commanding and you can rely on almost changes the way that the whole team plays because the forward players often we'd see last season um, last season we'd see the forward players maybe not being as flamboyant or as creative as, as they can be because they didn't want to leave the back four vulnerable uh, when you're playing with a four at the back and then a 4-2-2-2 although they have got those centre midfielders there with a strong centre-back, like we've had Van Dijk before, obviously he's, you know, Van Dijk, Olderberg, Lover, and they were good players. Are we going to get someone that good in? Not straight off the bat, but if you got someone that you can rely on, then suddenly those front four players have a little bit more freedom and a little bit of licence to, to go and create and score goals. So, strangely, a centre-back might not just improve us defensively, but improve... Us going forward because you more rel- Yeah, because you've got that brick wall behind you, and re- that reliance, and everyone will be asked to get back and work hard. But if you're playing there with a Wesley Hoot or you're playing there with a Virgil Van Dyke, for instance, when he was at Saints, it's completely different. Um, emphasis altogether completely different mindset so
0: you said that we that was from the fans forum that hasn't confirmed we would be getting another player you wanted to talk more about this fans forum. this is, seems to be the uh, this was for uh, fans that managed to get to all 38 games last season that is quite an achievement so uh, tell us more about that
1: yeah well, well done to those guys I mean it looked like they got a nice um, free dinner and, uh, and, and obviously got to, to ask the questions that a lot of fans have been asking. Um, it was it was comprised, essentially I wanted to talk about it, because conducting a fans forum in the first place I think is a really big step and a really good move by the club. Uh, and it allows us to see the guys that are making the decisions, um, what the plan is, and they talked about transparency and how they want to be more transparent I think the club already was transparent but even more transparent now uh, it was comprised of uh, four people I mean Ross Wilson who is the head of football obviously Ralph Harsenhuttle first team coach uh, they had the commercial director David Thomas there and then the new chief chief exec Martin Simmons who uh, we heard a lot from and we even actually had a, had a, a brief appearance from uh, Nelly Gow uh, the, the daughter of the owner but what's what's important is that you've got the ownership. We don't see a lot of the gals, but there's 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 the ownership board. But then we have a board of people who run the club day in day out, and um, and are comprised of 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 the guys that are on the panel there. And it was really interesting to see that the similarities from when. Uh, Pochettino and Kuhn were the managers and a lot of similarities in the way that Southampton are thinking about things again went off the went off the tracks a little bit when we brought in the likes of Puel, Pellegrino, Mark Hughes they didn't fit the Southampton way and we seem to have moved back in to that train of thought with Ralph Harsen but we are almost going back to, to running a club as we did under Cortese where all the details are being looked at I remember hearing that they, they used to take you know, the players' mattresses to away games and he used to do just just fine details around the club and um, and that seems to be coming back and, and there are a lot of points that were brought up um, and we're going to talk about a few of them but it seems important to me from, from what they were talking about and they answered questions well that the club are thinking about what they're doing and they have a direction and they have a plan and everyone's heading towards it uh, and we got lost a little bit Um the first thing we wanted to talk about was obviously those. That, that was the board, but the transfer policy in terms of buying in young players, um, and the players. They were asked about the players that we have bought recently: the Correios, the Buffels, the Hoots, um, and why. Yeah, you know, and and they admit that they they went wrong. They went wrong with previous managers. They went wrong with signings, and how. The premise is that they want to buy players that Ralph Harsenhutel can develop into good players. And I just want, what are your thoughts on, on that, Tom, as a policy?
0: That shows that the club are very much looking into the long term. Though I read that it was um, no one older than 24 that they wanted to get in, and it, I think this is going back to that Southampton way where you want to get those young players you want to develop them before they are what they are you want to get them so you can mould them in your own way because if you want to get the players who are already um, developed into what they can be then you're priced out of them and the big clubs will be wanting to get them whereas if you can get these players before um, well they're they're still like a um, a diamond in the rough as it were then the policy as has been in the past to sell them on for bigger money but if you can get them for that period of time then that shows that Southampton have a clear way of thinking of how they want to progress at a club and are not just going to splash out on big wages and big money on a player for the sake of it.
1: Yeah and that's spearheaded as well by Ralph Arsenault he's been brought in because I mean the club that's how the club runs but Arsenault is, is someone who wants to develop a player. Someone asked the question uh, if you had an unlimited budget and you could sign any player and um, who would you sign? And I thought, well, that's you know, that's quite the question. You're going to say Messi's or Ronaldo's, things like that. It's not really um, relevant. But Ralph Harson has all answered, um, if I could sign any player, I would sign Kylian Mbappe, but I'd sign him four or five years ago. That's what they're looking for. They're looking to unearth players in other academies um, or other first teams where they see a real potential and they can buy them for a few million and then develop them into I mean killing Mbappe is a world beater but the, you know the kind of the kind of things that we've done with with many players in the past and Southampton are renowned for it and and they talked about the academy and how Southampton have always been good at selecting young players age 8 9 10 and bringing them through the academy and then having players like Gareth Bales that they that they managed to bring through at, amongst many others that's obviously the prime example uh, but Ross Wilson touched on how they're changing their scouting. Rather than just being so good at, at looking at the immediate geographical area, maybe he said an hour and a half away from Staplewood, they were covering that area. They're now they're now sending scouts nationwide, and they're looking at signing players at 16, 17, 18. So go into academies and signing players that you can already see. Are going to be fantastic, and they've signed a, a few already in this window. And they go into to other clubs, and they go into big clubs as well, and or they go into clubs where the big clubs are interested. And Southampton, in that respect, are one of the top European um, academies. Academies, ticket. and and from a player's point of view, you could go and sign for Manchester United. You can go and sign for Arsenal. You can go and sign for the big, you know, even European sides. But they're they're picking Southampton because they they know that has got that's the best chance they've got to to make it as a, as a player in the uh, the top level. So they're going to sign in 16, 17, 18 year olds that they can already see are developing into good players and spending a hundred thousand pounds on them rather than spending 30, 40, 50 million pounds on them once they're already established. Uh, so lots of changes being made within the academy within the first team is just it's it's good to see that we're being proactive.
0: Absolutely. So going away now from the team, as it were, there were a couple of points that you wanted to talk about. One was the
1: uh, was the fan zone that's being introduced. Yes, there's going to be a fan zone. Um, I don't know if you want to talk in more detail about it, but it's, it's going to be in the South car park at the stadium and it's going to be for fans pre-match on, um, on match days. I don't know if it's going to be post-match as well, but certainly pre-match. What are your thoughts on having having that? It's going to be food, drink. There's going to be a big screen. There's going to be music. It's just about creating a, a buzz um, and something for fans to do before a game, really. I
0: think in today's world, football is now becoming even more of um, of an event, as it were. Were um, 10, 20 years ago, when it was purely going to the match, watching the game, having a having a pint with your friends. It's becoming more about the in total, the total immersive experience of going to a football match. And you know what? I think I think it is. Is good yes Southampton at the moment they've got the um, they've got the hot dog stalls outside but I really enjoyed it when going to Wembley for the League Cup Final they had the different fan zones and it was just a really good place just to mingle with fans it's very uh, very good natured there's a lot of Banton I don't know if they're going to make it uh, club specific whether both away and home fans can mingle in there as well but you know it'll make the uh, going to the stadium earlier maybe a bit more appetising and um yeah, just add a bit of variety to the match day experience. Something for everyone, really.
1: Yeah, I don't know about yourself, but it's something I've seen, um, kind of seen at other, uh, other clubs. I went to West Brom. Anyone that's been up to the Hawthorns, uh, a couple of seasons ago, I went up there when uh, for the sort of relegation six pointer with that fantastic Lamina goal, if you remember. And outside the stadium, right next to the stadium, there's a pub with a huge car park, and there was a massive big screen that they're playing the early the early game on there in the Premier League um, they had yeah you could go and get a hot dog or a burger and people were obviously you know drinking as well it wasn't so much of a carnival atmosphere which this sounds like it's going to be but it's a good place to be because there are a lot of fans who who you know we we're there on, on on a match day for for the audio description uh, at sort of for three o'clock we're there at about half past 12 and you, you, you go outside at half- past one um, when the when the Turnstiles open. There are people sat there waiting for the players to come out and, and train. Um, whereas it gives them somewhere to to spend their time, you know, be a little bit less bored if any of them are, and just a carnival atmosphere, music playing and all that sort of thing. Be interesting to see how how good it is when um, in the winter and when it's tipping down with rain. But again, it's just something else that the club are thinking about outside the box for the fans because they want that connection with with the football club fans, don't they?
0: especially uh, in today's age we've got so much emphasis on sh- social media and you want p- um, p- fans to feel close to the club because there's so much money in the games fans and players for big amounts of money um, that are like wage packets so that are incomprehensible to a normal working uh, working citizen and to they want to bring the fans closer together but Keeping on the subject of the fans, you said one other thing from the fans forum was possibly moving the away fans and creating a whole
1: uh, stand of Northern Saints fans. How? Tell us more about that. Yeah, uh, well, it's something that's been talked about for a while. I just want to, before we go on to that, I just also want to say um, it sounds like it's going to be a fantastic way for fans to spend their time before the game. Just for any and um, sport audio description users. Just uh, yeah, still make sure you you're you're in the in the stadium or you've got your um, your receiver to hear us talking pre-match at 20 past two for a three o'clock kickoff because otherwise we'll just be talking to ourselves but um, yeah talking about the the away fans' it's been something that's been talked about for years and years and trying to create that almost cop like atmosphere uh, at the, because the northern stand is is where the noise is made the elements in the itching north goes round a little bit to the Kingsland north other than that the rest of the stadium really have tried the clappers and all those sorts of things but it's not where the vocal fans go at the moment half of it pretty much is away fans and they said it costs a lot of money to do something like that and they do need the police and the council to give it the go ahead so it's not something that's going to be in place by the start of the season for instance mm. but it's something that they're looking at and again to try and They're looking at everything, generating an atmosphere. We've seen the things that they've done at St Mary's with the the fire and the the light shows and all sorts of things. They're trying, obviously, to tick every single box and do everything that will give us a slight advantage or a slight gain as a football club to to effectively end up winning more matches. And this is is one of the things. I don't know what your perspective is on it, if it will improve the atmosphere or will it depend on where the away fans are? Because, obviously, having the away fans... Next to the northern Or in the northern stand Adds a bit of atmosphere in itself Because there's obviously the jovial banter Between two sets of fans If they're at the other end of the stadium Would you just have fans going To the other end of the stadium Because they like to be in that vicinity for, for the back and forth kind of camaraderie With the away fans I think you make a good point with that Because
0: having that end purely of the very vocal Southampton fans and the away fans Creates a cacophony of noise down that end Um I think moving the away fans uh, for, for, first thing would give Saints a bit of an advantage because having the fans behind the goal, you've got um, almost like that energy to su- su- suck in the goal and uh, get the ball into the net, and it maybe gives the away fans, uh, the away team, a bit of advantage knowing that they're shooting towards their own fans. Whereas if you put the, the away fans maybe to the side of one of uh, one of one of the side or in a, a, a different corner, then it might be more difficult for them to create the atmosphere that they want. Obviously, the noise of the main noise at St. Mary's is in that northern, and would it would it increase if they made the if, if they gave the northern entirely to the Southampton fans? But as you said, it could be that they are more noisy because they do have the away fans right next to them. So it be I think it's one of those where you'd have to you'd have to do it, implement it to actually see the effects of it. Um, I think. It would Again, it would depend on where the away fans went. If, if it was me, I'd put them to maybe the side, maybe um, maybe in the middle of the Kingsland or something. But then again, you don't want to separate noisy fans and noisy fans because then uh, you, it's happened in a few cup matches and a few friendlies where if you um, spread fans that normally go in the northern around, you don't you sort of have maybe a bit of a damp squib of an atmosphere.
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to transparency. Again, if they're going to do this, then the club... I've got to say why they're doing it and say that the idea is that we're going to move the away fans. This is where we're moving them to. But the idea is so that anyone who wants to be vocal and chant and be loud and support the team. The idea is that all of you are in that one stand and that's what we want to generate. is a cop like um, atmosphere in St Mary's rather than just saying from this date, the away fans are going to be here and. Um, I imagine they have to do that at the beginning of next season because otherwise you've got season ticket holders exactly, and that's going yeah. to be that's going to be a hassle. But the the idea is that everyone knows if you want to go and support the team, this is where we want this atmosphere. Otherwise they could just move the away fans and like we said, they could move the away fans down to the other end of the stadium and all of a sudden some of the fans follow and they go down that end of the stadium because they want to be near the away fans, or everyone stays in the in the northern. It's difficult to suggest where you're going to put. Them the away fans because if they are uh, moved to one the sides, if they move to the itching north side for instance then they're gonna potentially be right next to the hospitality don't know if that's going to be something they'll do if you move them to the Kingsland north it's i see that being as most likely because um one of the things that they talked about was is going to be possible because of where the away fans come from in terms of the train station and everything else and just moving them from one place to another uh, i think that would be the most likely one because obviously you've got that the, the train station on that side uh, but then you're also on the same side as the family stand so do you move all the albeit at the other end of the pitch so do you move the family area into the chapel or into the itch in the south so it'll be interesting to see if that goes ahead but i mean i'd quite i think it would be a good move i think it would be Something quite different. fresh it'll be something different and it would be good to see Northern full of Saints fans
0: I think so too and atmosphere. I think it would really give Southampton an advantage so as we're coming to the end of the first episode of Kingston Corner second episode of the under the brand new Under the Lights podcast uh, we'll end on a couple of questions but one observation I want to make you talked uh, earlier about expectations with or without a centre-back but I sent out a tweet earlier this week of asking Saints fans what they would deem a realistic um, season, uh, um, realistically what they deem to be a successful first season under Haas and And we've got, uh, quite. there was quite a general consensus about the Saints fans. We've got Ben Crossley, who said 7th to 13th would be a very good step up. Again, want to decent cup run. But again, something we've seen uh, the view a lot of the South- Southampton fans of what we are talking about, stop giving away leads so easily. I think... Mostly, we want an improvement on last season. We want to be difficult to beat. We want to have uh, be able to hold on to leads more. I'll just but say, on,
1: on, on that note, that did happen when we changed the manager as well. That was, Most of that happened in the first half of the season. And although it did happen a couple of times, I mean, in the Cup, both games against Derby, for instance, but that was still a new manager who had just come in and the players had that same mentality. Every time they scored and it got towards stoppage time, last 10 minutes... We'd ended up defending our own 18-yard box And just, just that mentality I think that has been changed And I don't think that'll be as big an issue
0: We've got Aaron James as well um, Saying mid-table, 8th to 14th um, More, He wants more of a stress-free season Good entertaining performances Where there's no real danger of relegation I think that would be what a lot of Saints fans for this season would be expecting. You don't want to be in that relegation battle. It's almost like that. It feels for me like that first se- first full season under Pochettino where danger of relegation hopefully is not going to be there, where we're not going to be quite good enough to challenge in the top six or the top eight, certainly not the top six this season, but um, one of those where you just want to see some decent performances, see players... Um, Play a bit stress-free, getting in some good results and um, just seeing a general progression of the club so that we can build on for the season after this one and maybe real have a real stab at it.
1: Yeah, I think I think it depends what you mean by expectation. I mean, in terms of league position, they said in the forum as well, generally 9th to 14th would be considered an expectation. I think that would be a good season, nearer 9th to 14th, um, I think but you, you've got to be looking at what are your expectations in order to achieve that. It's all well and good saying, oh, I, I just think it was a good season if Southampton finished 10th to 12th. Okay, that would be, but but how have we done it? And I think Southampton will be looking, and the fans will be looking for more homegrown talent to come through, the likes of your Valeries from last season, to see better style of football, I feel, I feel is vital. After the last three managers we've had, and we've had some really poor defensive um, mindset, Ralph Arsenault clearly is is more attacking, is more in the Pochettino sort of um, mould and like we said he played 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 three, three, or whatever he played last season because he had to come in and fix a problem, now he's got his first full pre-season, um, he's, he sent away the players with dietary and exercise requirements so that they came back at the beginning of pre-season fit enough so that Ralph Hasnettel could talk tactics pretty much for the whole of pre-season he didn't want to waste a couple of weeks getting players to lose weight and getting their fitness back up he, he wanted all of them to be fit obviously work on fitness a bit in pre-season but so that he can show them what he wants in this four-two-two-two formation and by all accounts sounds like he was pleased he's a perfectionist so he said yeah it could have been better but He's happy with with the players and how they applied themselves during the holiday, which is great because it means that they're all buying into it. But yeah, I think I think reasonable expectation is to finish mid-table, but also young players coming through and a better attacking style of play, and just to be entertained as well, which you, I think you're going to be. There're going to be goals in this team.
0: De- definitely. And a final quickfire question before we uh, wrap this up. Who do you think will be Saints' key player this season? If you could pick one player, who's
1: going to be the key one? Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, there are so many attacking players, and last season Redmond and Warprowse really came through. I think, personally, I think if. Um, I think if Hoybier has a good season again it's vital because I feel like the, the games are won in midfield and when we're playing two central midfielders I think being one of our best players last season as well the captain if if Hoybier has a good season then I think the team has a good season which is difficult to put down to one player I hope Adams does well I hope Ings stays fit I hope the center backs you know Bednarek plays really well because we need to stop conceding goals. But I just feel like the centre-midfielders need to, in this formation, they need to be having a good game, every game, and bossing games. And I saw that from Romeo, and I saw that from Hoybier. And as a captain, I think he would be my answer. How about yourself?
0: I would say Juvio as well but I think I'm more inclined I think this is going to be a massive season for Nathan Redmond he's finally got a manager that has a huge amount of confidence in him playing sort of a free attacking role and last season he didn't quite have whilst he's played really really well again we we're in a season that was very much not stress free we're very much trying to survive from relegation maybe this one he can play with a bit of weight off his shoulders that he is one of the key goal getters now he can just play with that freedom and if he's got part like Ginepo and um, Che Adams, then we could see goals galore. But whether that's being too ambitious, I don't know. But for Nathan Redmond, I think this is what it's going to be for him.
1: Perfect. We'll wrap it up there. Um, thanks for, for joining us again. Any questions? Again, you've you've got our Twitter handles. I'm, I'm Callum Wilson 21 And I'm Tom Murray at T214Murray. And, and generally i mean this is this we're on about 45 minutes on this podcast and the last one for the premier league one was about an hour but these are our first two episodes um first one on saints first one general and we've got through a fair fairly big agenda so uh and and a lot of topics so going forward these will be more concise and we'll be we'll be discussing things from the weeks prior or the matches coming up so um don't worry about that if you think any of these are a bit too long but if you've got any feedback if you've got any questions um, there'll be more tweets from myself and Tom on on Twitter and uh, and we should be back to you reasonably shortly I think the next one for us is going to be a, a general football talk about our Premier League predictions um, so if you've got any Premier League predictions do write some comments and we'll uh, we'll answer any questions you might have absolutely
0: thank you very much for listening until next time goodbye